Thanks for reading, Jackie. It's wonderful to see you all, uh, and what a joy to be opening the Bible with you, the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, Josh has already prayed for us, so I think we can just jump straight in and, uh, and get into Genesis. People have often considered uh, the creation, uh, God creating, the act of creation by God, they've often compared that to uh, when an artist creates something, when an artist makes something. Uh, one of the very interesting artists uh, at the moment is Banksy. Uh, in fact, this anonymous man uh, is one of the most famous artists of our era. Uh, his stencil graffiti art pieces are worth millions. Uh, each one is a gift to the town that he does them in. They become instant tourist attractions. They're so valuable that people even remove walls to preserve them. Uh, so, for example, last August in, uh, in Suffolk in England, Banksy painted uh, this piece, uh, and people flocked to see it, but after a few months, the landlord removed the wall of the building to sell the piece for an estimated $4 million. This was controversial, and the deputy uh, mayor of the town branded it a shame saying, uh, I quote, I'm sure Banksy didn't put it on there in the hope that some would, someone would profit from it. And so Banksy's artworks are there for all to admire, and yet uh, the creator of the artworks remains anonymous. His name is unknown, and so to some degree, uh, so are his intentions for the artworks. Well, this all came to a head last month when Guess, the, the global fashion brand, used Banksy's artworks as prints on their new clothing, uh, clothing range called Brandalized. Uh, and of course, Banksy, uh, he reached out to his people and he said that he was not happy. Uh, and yet, reportedly, it's been difficult for him to navigate the legal system without revealing his name, without copyrights. You can't claim ownership of something unless you make yourself known. Identifying yourself as the creator and owner would seem a necessary step if you want to tell people how to use what you've made. Which, of course, brings us uh, not so subtly to Genesis, doesn't it? Where God makes himself known as creator, author and owner of all that is, of all creation. Today in Genesis we read God's, uh, maybe you could call it his copyright claim. Uh, He's saying, this is all mine, I have made it, my fingerprints are all over it. In Scripture he says... This is my gift for all. This is how it is to be used. And this is what I will do with it. God communicates, reveals himself uh, and his authorship over his creation that we may know him as Lord. Uh, The start of Genesis, uh, Genesis really is ground zero in thinking uh, theology, in all theology. You can't really get anywhere in theology or ethics without beginning with creation, uh, because God is author, owner, and controller of all things. Uh, And and this Christian understanding of creation, well, puts us at odds with society, doesn't it, in almost every way. If you pick up any object, think of any object, pick up anything, point to anything, we have a radically different understanding about what that thing is. Point to anything. Whose is it? Why is it there? Who made it? God. There are no maverick molecules. God is over all things. And if God makes all things, He is Lord of all, ruler of all. But if God is not there, well then the humans are kings. 
Humans are over all things. If God did not create, then humanity rules the physical world. Humans' desires are at the center because humans are the greatest beings to exist. And so there's much at stake at this, human, uh, at this creation question. The doctrine of creation changes everything. It affects everything. We could look at it uh, for weeks together. But we only have a few minutes. Uh, so let me uh, briefly introduce the book of Genesis uh, and our series, and then we'll, we'll go through our passage and pick, pick out some things from some of the verses as we go along. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Genesis cover to cover, if you've done that, uh, or, or when you did it last, uh, but you quickly notice that the bulk of the book is about one family, uh, Abraham's, and it's all the goss, you know, who slept with who. Uh, you find yourself thinking, why are we hearing so much about this one family uh, and all the kids that they had? Uh, why are we reading about their history? Genesis means uh, origin. It's the origin story of all things with a focus on one family. But God knew what he was doing when he got Moses uh, to write the book. You see, there are two sections in Genesis, basically. Uh, chapters 1 to 11, uh, it's the proto or early history Uh, It focuses on the origins of the human race. And then chapters 12 to 50 focus on the origins of Israel. And so the book of Genesis as a whole declares that this uh, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, this God, he's not merely a a localized entity. He's not just the, the family God, but he is the sovereign Lord of the whole universe. These apparently petty family squabbles that we read about, who married who and so on, that occupy most of Genesis, are actually of cosmic significance. For God has chosen these families so that through them all the nations of all the earth should be blessed. And so Genesis is the origin story of how we here today in this building came to be blessed by God. It all began in Genesis. This is our salvation history. Uh, And the first uh, chapters, 1 to 11, are the setting for this salvation history. Every worldview has a setting. Uh, You know, for example, our society, it's essentially, you know, materialist, believing that uh, there's no God, it's just physical matter. And so the setting is uh, the Big Bang or whatever, you know, random matter doing random things. And the setting, it's just the physical world, that's all there is. There's no purpose, no rules, ultimately you decide. Other religions are, you know, around with the Israelites when Genesis was written, the other near, uh, ancient Near Eastern religions, they all had their own settings, uh, and it, it was usually, um, usually a bit of a brag. Uh, their accounts, their, you know, origin stories was normally about how their God beat up the other gods to become God of their area. And so Genesis has similarities. It's an account of how our God is the big God uh, of all areas of the whole universe, Physical, party, uh, physical particles don't rule, God does. God is Lord over all. Behind all things is not physics, but God. God frames all history as his masterpiece, his performance, his action, and his intention. And so we see that God is the first subject of the Bible. Verse 1 in Genesis says, In the beginning, God... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This God made all things. This salvation story is therefore at the center of all people. You cannot truly know anything about anything without knowing this God. 
the stage for God uh, in the first verse you notice is the beginning. The verse is saying God made all things. There was nothing other than God in existence before the act in verse 1. So Hebrews 11.3 should come up on screen. says, The universe was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. Or, or John 1.3 says, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So out of nothing, God created all things. In theology, it's known as creation ex nihilo. All the, all the worldviews, every single worldview has a, has a, a beginning, an origin story. Uh, you know, every superhero needs a good origin story. So for, for Spider-Man, uh, for example, Spider-Man was just an American teenager. Well, in the beginning, he was just a poor, sickly orphan. But one day, he was bitten by a radioactive spider, and as a result of the bite, he gained superhuman strength, speed, uh, you know, and he could cling to walls and things like that. That's that's his origin story. Well, Genesis, uh, the origin story of the universe, begins with God saying, verse 1 again, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So is this, is verse 1, is this God's origin story? No, God's already there, isn't he? It's, it's the origin story of the creation, not of God. We're, we're told about the beginning, but at the beginning God's already there. God's already there before the beginning has begun. Every worldview needs a beginning, uh, needs to assume something at the beginning to begin the beginning. Every worldview needs someone or something there at the start, something which is eternal. For our society's worldview, being materialist, they believe that the thing that was there at the start was physical matter. The physical matter is the eternal thing who begun the beginning. The Big Bang or whatever, whatever was there at the beginning, all the physics and stuff, all the physical particles that reacted together, out of those things, all things came to exist. The universe, the world, and human life. And so that's our society's origin story. Uh, and to be frank, Superman, uh, Spider-Man's origin story makes more sense if you think about it, if you really think about it. Because uh, in the materialist view... The superhero is the humble physical particle, the matter, whatever it is that was there at the start. We're told ultimately that it was from this thing that all other things came. Our society's worldview, it assumes that this physical matter was there, while the Bible offers an actual explanation for the origin of the physical things. What's the explanation? Well, God, God, the supernatural God, made it. That's what Genesis is saying. A supernatural God that's outside of the physical creation made it out of nothing. And so we have two worldviews, two statements. You tell me which one makes sense. Uh, I've put them up on screen there. The Bible says God made the physical world, or materialism says the physical world made the physical world. One of these is a logical proposition and the other has been disproved by science. And so I take you through this, uh, Christian brothers and sisters, to say that we should never be ashamed. Don't be on the back foot when you're called to give an account for your worldview to our society. Well, there's uh, much to say, of course. We better, we better move on. Uh, we'll have question time in a, in a couple of weeks, so we can, um, you can raise uh, things if you have questions there, or we can 
keep chatting. But we better move on to verse 2. We made it to verse 2, uh, only verse 2, and uh, I did the maths. Uh, at this rate, we'd get to the end of the Bible in 215 days uh, of non-stop preaching. So uh, who wants to stick around? Verse 2 starts, Now the earth was formless and empty. Uh, in the next scene in creation... The earth's formless and empty, dark and watery. And the term uh, formless and empty, it's a statement about its, its nature as much as anything. It was, it was chaos and chaotic, totally disordered. It's the opposite of what the creation will be when God's finished with it. Um, if, you, if you need a, a reason to, to get your teenager to clean their room, perhaps, uh, maybe you could say, uh, do you want this house to look like the pre-created world? Total chaos. I don't know, maybe that, maybe that won't be as helpful as I think. Verse 2 continues, uh, Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so God is there in this dark, watery chaos. His Spirit is there about to bring order, goodness, and light. We live in an ordered world. It's been made, designed, crafted, maintained, curated, cared for. It's not random. It's not a forgotten wasteland. That was the world before God created. Okay, get ready. Here comes the Spirit, the first act of creation in verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be, and it was. Uh, And something like a lightning bolt shoots across the dark chaos, and we get a taste of God's goodness. Verse 4 continues, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And at this point in verse 4, we see uh, two things about God's work. Um, Firstly, it's good, and secondly, it's a drawing of lines, it's a marking, it's a delineating act. um, By marking, I mean it's a separating of things, a judging between good and bad, a ruling a line between them. So in verse 4, God separates the light from darkness. Verse 5, He separates the day from night. Verse 6, God separates the land uh, from the water and the sky. And these creative acts, they're defining, they're drawing lines. That's what an architect, the word architect means uh, something like that. Uh, That's what a designer does. They define, you know, this will be the bathroom, this will be the bedroom. It can be a study as well, but the kitchen can't be a study. All these, it's this, it's deciding this is what this will be. And that, that is what the designer does. And God, as the maker, owner, has the right to define uh, our world, however, in in suppressing the truth about God's forgottenness, hasn't it? Forgotten that God is the author and ruler, forgotten this reality. And as you think about um, some of the things our world doesn't understand about the Bible, uh, these were things that God fixed in place when he made the world. God drew a line and said, this is good or bad, Um, You know, uh, this is an animal, this is a human, this is a man, this is a woman. Sex is to be between a man and a woman. Uh, You know, this is to be the head of the house, this is to be the head of the church, this is how someone will be saved. All of these things God has set up as the the maker of all things, of creation. All All these things are baked in to the creation when God made the world. This is, these are the lines that he drew when he made the universe. They're God's choice. They're done for His good pleasure. They're done as an overflow of His goodness. And this uh, good thing, uh, this goodness is the other thing mentioned in verse 4. This ordering and separating 
is good. They define good. They are good. Uh, last year, I was uh, reminded how hard it is to make something good. Uh, it, it's one thing to make something. It's another thing to make something good. And so last year, we were having a, a birthday party for the kids. Uh, Nikki needed a cake. Uh, and so I said, oh, I'll do that. Too easy. I can, I can totally take care of that. And she did. She questioned. She said, do you know how to ice a cake? <laughs> easy, I said. Easy. Leave it to me. I'll handle it. I'll take care of it. And so uh, she showed me what she had in mind. Uh, I was to make something that looked uh, like this. I think I have a photo there. Something that looked like this. Uh, it was, this was the highly ordered creation vision, a nice buttercream ice cake. This was mine. <laughs> Absolutely nailed it. Let's just put them side by side. Uh, and Josh said, let there be cake. And there was cake. And the cake was not so good. <laughs> I'm, uh, I can, if you need a cake, let me know. I'll, I'll handle it. <laughs> I need some practice. So <clears throat> We didn't serve it. I just put it in the fridge and then showed people and laughed. <laughs> Uh, but God's, unlike me, uh, God's creation was good. It's good. It's called good. It's not only a statement of quality, unlike my cake, but it's a moral term. These things, they're virtuous. They're good and not evil. Uh, you know, I think my cake was bad, but no one's calling it evil. Uh, but when God says the creation's good, it's kind of a, a statement about its character. It's an overflow of God's character. The creation is good. God's goodness is all around us. The trees, the mountains, the rivers. They're beautiful, reflecting God's wonderful goodness. God's arms surround you in His creation. He is so good if you have eyes to see it. If you have eyes to see His light. Uh, because did you notice that the sun has not yet been created uh, in verse 3? The sun isn't made until day 4 in verse 16. And so the light uh, that's being talked about here is very much of God. The light that shines in day one is somehow directly from God. When God, when God separates the light from the darkness, it's both uh, actual light, but also this description of God's goodness. The dark is evil, the light is good, and so the light is from God. You get another kind of important hint here about how theological these uh, descriptions are. Uh, the Bible says God is the source of light uh, forever, even in the new creation. So there's this snapshot of the new creation in Revelation 22.5. It says, night will no longer exist. This is in the new creation. Uh, The people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And so light is from God. In fact, uh, this light is life itself. Uh, 1 John 4 to 5 says, Life was in him, and that, uh, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet darkness has not overcome it. Darkness, death, decay has not defeated the light. God created light for all. He sent his light into the world, Jesus. God is, uh, God is in the business of lighting He lights the world. He lights our hearts. The Spirit of God hovers over the waters and it said, let there be light and the light shone. And now the Spirit offers life, giving us life by shining light into our hearts as 2 Corinthians 
4.6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This verse, it always makes my spine tingle. That the God who created it, when he shone light in the creation, has shone his wonder into our hearts that we might know Jesus, given us life and saved us. Knowing Jesus is light. Knowing Jesus is life. And so make sure that you know Jesus. But I, I should return to Genesis. I'll try and stay focused on uh, Genesis. Uh, we're at verse 5. Verse 5 says... God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. Evening came, and then morning, the first day. And so now we have uh, night and day, but we don't have a sun. No sun, and yet the first day. And so you kind of have to ask, what kind of day is this? And uh, there's been much debate about this word day, and uh, look for what it's worth. My opinion is it's a 24-hour day, 24-hour period. Uh, but it doesn't say there anywhere 24 hours. Uh, so day could really mean any period of time. And I think, uh, I think that's how we should approach the Genesis text as a whole. Uh, hold on to what it says very carefully, uh, but don't add in our words. If it doesn't say it, don't, don't put it in there. You know, we, we want to insist on what it does say, uh, but we don't want to say more than it's necessarily saying. And so there's been much debate about the length of... Uh, the day since uh, the early church. Really good theologians from the beginning have had different views on this because the text simply doesn't say, right? It doesn't say more than it says. Uh, The Bible as a whole, you know, fills in some of the details. It won't let us deny certain truths about God's creation. Uh, You know, for example, Exodus 20.11 says, "'For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, "'the sea and everything in them in six days.'" Then he rested on the seventh. And so, yes, affirm six days of creation, uh, but don't add in your own details. Some people believe there's gaps between the days, arguing the creation itself might have taken many, many years. Well, again, it doesn't say that there are gaps. doesn't say that there isn't, so I guess it's possible. Uh, we, we don't have time to go into all the different understandings of the creation account and how it fits in with different theories about how the world was formed. Uh, the, the account in Genesis, it wasn't really written to answer these other specific scientific theories. The, the question the account is supposed to answer is, who should I serve as Lord? Can I trust him? And, and the, the Genesis account does that very well. It answers that question very, very well. But at the end of the day, the Genesis account, it's the only account of creation that anybody has. The words in these verses They are very accurate. They are true statements. It is a historic account of real events by the one person who was there. Uh, As God reminds Job in this uh, great moment in Job 38, he says, Were you there when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And so I think we want to read very carefully and hold on to God's account uh, as true. Well, of course, there's much to say about science and the Bible, and Christians need to think very carefully about how we engage with science. Uh, if I could give you three quick uh, things to remember. Firstly, I mean, science is undeniable, right? Uh, it, testable, repeatable science, there's no question about it. Um, but realistically, much of what is called science is really just uh, theories. Theories come and go, they may or may not be true, and they're often uh, disproved. 
So unless something's there in front of you and you can test it, uh, it's just a theory. And so much of what people claim to be true based on the authority of science uh, isn't really uh, true science. It's, it's actually more like religion in a lot of ways. Secondly, uh, Christians inevitably have to reject many of the claims made in the name of science as they simply contradict the Bible. Um, you know, so for example, the scientific consensus is that humans are just animals, that we're supposed to have you know, sex with as many partners as possible for the good of humanity. I mean, this simply contradicts the Bible. The Bible it gives a different account of who we are and what is good. Christians have to reject it. And so, if I could be crude, uh, when, a, when a scientific account contradicts the Genesis account of creation, I'm not very worried. <laughs> it doesn't really worry me, uh, because inevitably a Christian has to reject many of the things said uh, by a scientific consensus. I hope that's helpful. Thirdly, the Bible tells us um, that all people reject God. People, uh, people are not objective. People are looking to deny God, and they use their intellect and knowledge to justify their rebellion. And so we need to realize that much of what is called science is really just the rebellious heart frantically looking to deny God as Lord and Creator, ruler of all things. Uh, Most of all, they don't want to admit that He rules them. Well, lest I speak beyond my understanding, we'd probably better move on. Let's look briefly at the final few acts of creation in our uh, verses. Uh, Verse 9, God creates the land. Verse 9 says, Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the land appear. And it was so. God created the dry land, earth, and he called the gathering of the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. And just like that. The mountains, the seas, all formed. And it was so, it's just amazing to read. God speaks and it happens. God made it. Our world is so awesome. And God just spoke it into existence. I think sometimes we forget how incredible this is. Um, These mountains, it all reminds me of a a project in the Netherlands in 2011. The Netherlands, if you know anything about the Netherlands, uh, it's that they love cycling uh, and that it's dead flat which makes training for mountain climbing very difficult, altitude training, they can't do it. Uh, no matter, in 2011 they proposed to build a 2,000 metre high mountain, 2,000 metres high. It was meant to cost 500 million uh, and they started fundraising and the project gathered momentum when the costs blew out to 12 trillion. <laughs> 12 trillion. Uh, for comparison, that is more than the GDP of every country except the USA and China. 12 trillion. One mountain, and it was an absurdly impossible for humans to build. And all of creation, God made, spoke, and, that, and, and they came into existence. And it was so. And the right response to the mountains in all creation is to praise God, is to give Him the glory due as the incredible Creator. Our God is awesome. He is awesome, and he's our friend. Well, verse 11, uh, the vegetation is produced. Verse 11 says, Then God said, Let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. And so the earth sprouts, the earth bears fruit and multiplies. God's 
earth grows. It is fertile. The earth has produced all kinds of plants, trees, rainforests. And the section of Genesis is correcting the pagan understandings of providence, of food security, economic growth, housing provision. Um, For in in the pagan world, it was said that these gods produced the crops, gave fertility. It was the sun god who was meant to control people's destinies. But in Genesis, uh, God says, yeah, that, that big light up there in the sky, I made it. It dances to my tune. Verse 16 says, God made the two great lights, the greater light to have dominion over the day and the lesser light to have dominion over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them into the, in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to dominate the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then the morning, the fourth day it doesn't even name the sun, won't even dignify. It just says the big light up there. You know, the stars, yep, made them too. One by one, these pagan gods that people turn to, God here says, you don't need them. The produce that they claim, the health and prosperity they provide, it's all from me. I give life, health, fertility. I give the rain, the sun, and the good crops. All you need is me, and you can have me. I am your God. And you are my people. But people uh, often don't know God. They don't uh, like him or, or trust him. I think God has a branding problem. Uh, you know, a very successful brand is uh, the Australian-made logo. We all recognize it. The brand logo has 99% recognition. Uh, almost everyone recognizes it. It's trusted as being genuine by 92% of people. And people like it. 93% say they prefer the, uh, the Australian made. So it's a successful brand. Uh, God in Genesis, he's making his claim. He said, I made it. Recognize me as the sustainer, as creator. All things are made by God. Trust me. You don't need to turn to the sun. Don't go to the sun. You'll get burned. It's hot, not in a good way. Trust me, God is saying. He's the one in control. And of course, we're to love the Lord our God. He is to be our preference, our first love, Lord of all. Well, how do we end? How do you end a sermon on, uh, on the, the first few verses of the Bible? God made the world, but that is not the end. That creation was not the end, was it? For when God made the world, surely he knew he would be coming back again to remake it. Uh, so let me share a final verse which shows the plan was never for that creation to be final. Second Peter 3.10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief... And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be burned and dissolved. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. And so we live in the the very heavens and earth that God created, and yet we wait for the new heavens and the new earth. We praise God for his glory in this creation, and yet we wait for the greater glory of the new creation. Second Peter continues, Second uh, Peter 3.14, saying, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. And so while we wait, make every effort to be found at peace with him uh, without spot or blemish. Look to be as good as God's good creation, 
look to put away darkness and to live in the light. Live like you're about to step into the new heavens and the new earth, living in God's light. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what's the one light that will survive from this creation into the next? The most permanent part of God's creation? Uh, It's your heart, believer. The heart that the Spirit hovered over and said, let there be light in that person's heart. And a new creation was made, and that heart will be in the new creation, living in the light forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how majestic are the works of your hands. May we see your creation and give you praise for the glory of your work. May we look to you as provider of all things and Lord of all things, most of all our hearts. Father, keep us until the final day when you will return to take us home to your new creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.